PM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs episode where board studying and studying freely for life continues to be enjoyable. My name is Blake Briggs, comma MD, and I'm the co-host co-founder of EM Board Bombs. Dr. Hussein, the illustrious, famous co-host and co-founder, will not be joining us today. We'll cover his reason for not being here today. I'm sure it's important as usual. But for every 15 to 20 minute episode, you gain high yield board knowledge as we like to say, come for the stems, stay for the content. Please sign up on our website for free updates and episodes, printed handouts, and free review quizzes, and you can use these to test your knowledge on topics by going to our website at emboardbombs.com. Again, that is emboardbombs.com. Also, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at emboardbombs. Tatu Hussein won't be joining us today. He's actually editing his new book titled Medical Me. It's actually a knockoff from the Gildor Lockhart's book, Magical Me. In it, he describes his quest for curing chronic abdominal pain and his ability to use his Apple Watch and Apple AirPods to perform telemedicine consults. Should be really interesting. Uh, He's going to join us next week. He'll tell us all about it. All right, so delving right in, we got a 32-year-old male who presents to the ED with tremors and worsening mental status. He's actually a bodybuilder, and he's been in his bulking period, although recently it was interrupted due to his gym shutting down for the coronavirus outbreak, hashtag pandemic, hashtag stay at home, stay safe. The patient's cousin states over the phone that he was attempting to try a new protein powder called Evaporate, but instead he took high doses of his cousin's Valproate, similar spelling there, that she had crushed up to mix in her juicer daily as part of a new keto diet she's doing. Hashtag keto diet, hashtag low carb, hashtag keto life, hashtag ketosis, hashtag gluten free, hashtag healthy. The patient arrives only responsive to pain, vitals show heart rate 113, respiratory rate 16, Blood pressure's 116 over 80, which the following is true. Choice A, hypernatremia is a common electrolyte abnormality. Choice B, most cases have high morbidity and mortality associated with this overdose. Choice C, seizures are common with this overdose. Choice D, transenomitis is only seen in severe cases. Drum roll, please. We just hired a new drummer. He was actually pretty expensive. The correct answer here is actually going to be C. Seizures are common with this overdose. Today we're talking about valproate overdose, not evaporate overdose. (laughs) So I couldn't find many words that rhymed with valproate, but thankfully after polling a non-medical audience, uh, we discovered that valproate rhymes pretty well uh, with evaporate. And I thought evaporate sounded like a new protein powder that people would try, especially if they do CrossFit. All right, so we're talking about valproate, which is a medication that's been around for quite a long time. It's a pretty good drug. Uh, it treats partial and generalized seizures. It also is used for psychiatric disorders such as acute mania and bipolar disorder, and less commonly used as a prophylactic medication for migraine headaches. The dosage forms are really kind of three different forms here. We're going to lump them into two. They have an immediate release form, which reaches peak concentration at about one to four hours. And then you have this delayed enteric-coated form and an extended release form. They're marketed both as Devalproix, or Devalapro if you're Canadian. They both reach concentration in about four to five hours, and sometimes they can take up to 10 to 24 hours to reach full peak. We don't need to know the details of that. Just know, you know, and this goes for, of course, all tox cases, just know when patients potentially could have taken extended release tablets, right? Because that's going to affect your 
observation period as well as their delayed presentation. So that's a general theme here that boards aren't going to ever test you on, but just know that in real life, certain medications can be in extended release form and it can really delay their presentation. So with any toxicologic workup, we're going to get important information from the patient if they're not indisposed. So we're going to be trying to talk to family as well, law enforcement or EMS. Really the most important thing to be asking would be any pill bottles at the scene or in the patient's home. And of course the dates of recent prescriptions that were being filled from local pharmacies or where the patient typically gets them filled. And we want all pill bottles. So we want everything in the medicine cabinet, uh, even if it's accidental or intentional, we want to make sure, especially with children, what access they had to certain things in the house and potentially uh, where other medications were, other objects they could have ingested. We want the approximate time of ingestion as best as possible. We want possible co-ingestions, and of course, any prior history of overdose if it was intentional. So the symptoms of valproate overdose, they range quite a bit. The serum concentrations greater than 180 milligrams per liter, they'll have some degree of CNS depression. Levels greater than 850 have pretty much coma and varying degrees of acidosis. The vast majority of valproate overdoses are mild. Patients have lethargy, they recover in hours, any central nervous system symptoms are by far the most common manifestations. They range from lethargy to coma, again, depending on drug levels. Patients in severe valproate overdose, as we said, can present pretty much with uh, not so much comatose, but respiratory depression, hypotension, tachycardia, and hyperthermia. Other symptoms that are ranging in varying, varying degrees, we don't know the percentages of these symptoms. There's only really case studies to help us. Nausea and vomiting, diarrhea, you'll have meiosis very constricted pupils, tremors, myoclonus, and sometimes even seizures. You know, this is actually interesting because you would think, oh, wait a minute, Dr. Briggs, aren't you wrong on that? Uh, valproate is an AED, an anti-epileptic drug. Yes, that's true, but the metabolites from valproate, as well as the hyperammonemia, will cause seizures. The general lab workup for valproate overdose is the same as every tox screen. You're going to be doing a finger stick glucose on arrival, especially if they have an altered mental status or they're comatose. We're going to get a pregnancy test if they're female. We'll get Tylenol and salicylate levels. We'll get a urine drug screen. And we'll do, of course, our CMP for electrolyte panels and LFDs and kidney function. We'll go to an anion gap as well. We'll get an ammonia level, specifically fovaproate overdoses. We'll get a CBC, EKG, and, of course, blood gas. There's other things we add on, but those are the main thrust of our workup. I would say that's the same for every tox workup, except for the ammonia level. I would say the ammonia level is probably the one thing that we are typically not getting, but in this case would get. Common drug levels you can get in major EDs that are usually not sendouts. Well, these would include phenytoin, carbamazepine, and valproate. Those are the three drugs that we typically get within a reasonable amount of time, depending on what shop you're at. Most academic shops have those three, and they usually come back within that ED stay. I would not wait for those, though, to determine your impact of care, right? High suspicion means you should start treating. So what are the common lab findings? Well, as we mentioned and hinted at earlier, hyperammonemia, elevated ammonia levels are very often present. They're usually asymptomatic. However, you also can see an anion-cat metabolic acidosis, hypernatremia, and hypocalcemia. You know, those last two things are not too important, and I only say that for the boards. The Really, the big things that are going to be important here are going to be the hyperammonemia, the anion gap, metabolic acidosis, and then this next thing, which most people know about from med school, which is a transenamitis. This is quite common. In fact, even those taking valproate at therapeutic levels can have borderline elevated AST and ALT. 
And that's why choice D is incorrect, that transanamitis is only seen in severe cases. This is simply untrue. You're going to see transanamitis and even patients taking the drug correctly. This is not a harmful side effect. It's just, you know, it's just there. Thrombocytopenia is a common finding as well. So remember this on your differential of causes of thrombocytopenia. Pancreatitis is extremely rare, but it has been reported, reported enough that if you have a patient with severe nausea and vomiting or any nausea and vomiting, just get a lipase, double check. The big scary thing that happens with these patients that causes them to die would be cerebral edema. It's a late finding, it has a poor prognosis, and it usually happens up to 12 hours to four days later. So these are patients that come in with severe valparate overdoses, they're not getting better with therapy, we'll talk about what that is in a few minutes, and then a few days later they're still not improving. Um, when you've done maximal therapy. So you should suspect in patients with failure to improve neurologically after aggressive treatment. This usually results, unfortunately, in herniation, ischemia, and death. How we monitor this, so once we detect elevated valproate levels, they should be measured every four hours until you see a steady decline and an improvement in neurological symptoms. So what is the management? So we're going to call poison control first. Check that. Easy to do. In those with no symptoms but elevated valproate levels, we're going to medically observe them for six hours. Sounds about right. Pretty typical. And that's, of course, if they are immediate release tablets, right? If they are delayed or extended release, we're doing 12 hours, sometimes 24 hours, depending how much they took. So let's say the severe cases, though. If you have a patient coming in and they are having respiratory depression, tachycardia, we advise early intubation. Activated charcoal is indicated really with those with airway protection. This is a similar case with most overdoses, it seems like, especially on the boards. They're not going to want you to do charcoal typically. Um, it's really only indicated in those with firm airway protection, like intubated patients or patients willingly drinking the charcoal, which is not going to happen commonly. So if patients refuse to take it willingly, don't give it. Do not forcibly put NG tubes in. If they're intubated, you can put an OG. But, you know, again, if these patients are already displaying respiratory depression, you're intubating, eh, you know, the, the charcoal's limited usefulness at the valproate levels are already elevated in the body, right? That means they probably took the drug several hours ago. Uh, it's within two hours of presentation of ingestion, right? So as usual, you know, obviously the wrong answers on test questions are going to be gastric lavage, don't do any whole bowel irrigation. They're not indicated in this case, and they rarely are in TOTS cases. So what what is the treatment? The big money treatment here is going to be L-carnitine. This is one of those lesser known antidotes, I feel like, in TOX. Uh, we don't really talk about it that much. It's one of those things that just kind of like, ooh, hello, popped up. And L-carnitine is something like you learned in Gen Chem or Orgo, and you're like, it's ringing a bell. <laughs> it's somewhere in my head. I don't know exactly what it did, but it's there. So L-carnitine prevents and reduces the effects of hyperammonemia and hepatotoxicity. It, it's the theory, there's this theory basically that says that the worsening of symptoms of cerebral edema, all that is secondary to a carnitine deficiency due to this long chain of biochemistry that I really don't want to get into. <laughs> Just, it's just not relevant at all, and it, it sounds miserable. I'll let someone smarter than me handle that. So when do you give L-carnitine? Any severe valproate overdose. So that's anybody with coma, respiratory depression, severe hepatotoxicity, or valproate levels greater than 450. So if a valproate level greater than 450, or any other severe respiratory symptoms or severe hepatotoxicity, just give it. Go ahead and start giving it. The carnitine has been found to decrease hepatic dysfunction, hasten resolution of coma, and reverse metabolic abnormalities. Wow, that sounds pretty perfect, right? Well, unfortunately, it's not that perfect. So there's really no studies that show optimal dosing. There's no controlled studies that have actually proven its efficacy or reduction in mortality. So we don't even know. 
However, the good news is really there's no major side effects from carnitine dosing other than occasional tachycardia associated with it. It's dose-related and administration-related. And treatment with carnitine is continued as long as there are signs of acute overdose. It's generally accepted in the toxic community that this should be given, for the most part. Again, no controlled studies ever support it, but, you know, heck, there's not many controlled studies for a lot of the toxic things we do, unfortunately. Interesting enough, this is probably the most fascinating thing of the day, meropenem makes an appearance. So meropenem has been found to actually be a potential antidote because it inhibits the activity of the enzyme that activates valproate. What the heck? <laughs> what? So apparently meropenem, uh, you can give a intense like nuclear antibiotic. <laughs> it's like one of those antibiotics we like never give unless we absolutely have to. And here we are giving it for a tox reason. So in the age of antibiotic stewardship, the toxicologists have decided to take meropenem and use it as a potential antidote. So here's the deal. Meropenem can result in greater elimination of valproate because it prevents the activation of valproate. It shortens the half-life of valproate, and, and it also lowers the plasma concentrations of valproate. This sounds promising. Again, there's no major studies on this in overdose setting. I've seen it given once in a valproate overdose. And, you know, who knows if it helped or not. Eventually, that patient had to go on dialysis. Here we go. So dialysis is going to be our last option. Certain cases, again, no controlled studies ever done, show that dialysis is helpful. Um, when you should consider doing it, you know, again, there's always criteria for doing dialysis. I don't think the boards are going to go into particular in this. They're going to give you some pretty obvious stuff, like any respiratory depression or coma, any severe acidosis. Well, that's, you know, already one of our criteria for undergoing acute immersion dialysis, right? pH less than 7.1, unamenable to regular conventional therapy. Hyperammonemia in, with encephalopathy. That's probably a big one, right, to remember. So if you have a patient with an incredibly high ammonia level and they have any sort of cerebral edema and they have a high valproate level, bam, done, hemodialysis. And then just the valproate level alone, greater than 900. So I've given a lot of different valproate numbers. Let's try to summarize those together here. So valproate greater than 180 will have some degree of CNS depression. Valproate greater than 900 automatically means severe overdose, automatically means dialysis. Easy, right? Valproate greater than 400, that's going to be patients getting carnitine. All right? So let's delve back into kind of the bottom line stuff here. So bottom line, valproate overdoses are associated with lethargy progressing to coma, myoclonic jerking, seizures, hepatotoxicity, and hyperammonemia. Those are the hallmark things to look for on the boards and in real life. You can also see thrombocytopenia, as we mentioned earlier, in an anion gap metabolic acidosis. The bottom line for treatment therapy, right? Carnitine is used for any patient with respiratory depression or coma, severe hepatotoxicity, and valproate level greater than 450. That's pretty straightforward, pretty loose definition, right? If you have a valproate level greater than 900, automatically dialysis. Or if you have any severe symptoms associated with encephalopathy or an unrelenting anion gap acidosis, dialysis. And again, you know, Dr. Hussain has said this on prior podcasts, like with salicylate overdoses. Well, you should be very aggressive with calling your nephrologist early on. You know, you need to get the ball rolling here. It takes a while to set up a VASCAF, takes a while to get a dialysis machine. Even worse, what if you're in a community hospital and you don't have overnight dialysis? Well, you got to start planning your transport options to a critical care. You know, obviously you're going to do that anyway if you're going to transport to a 
higher care center for a tox overdose, sure. But you need to be really aggressive on the ball here of calling nephrology at that receiving hospital, or if you're at a hospital with nephrology and dialysis capabilities overnight or after hours, you need to call ahead of time and plan this stuff. Uh, this is critical. And uh, from personal experience, I've seen these patients that have upright overdoses and you know, there was a delay at one point in getting a VASCAT in this patient and thankfully eventually got one, went up to the ICU, started dialysis, and 12 hours later, he was looking like a million bucks. He was extubated less than 24 hours later, was transferred to the psych unit about two days after his ICU stay. Incredible. So early aggressive treatment results in pretty good therapy for these. All right, I think that's about it. That's another bomb delivered. Remember, you can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at Bombs. Also on Instagram, same tagline at em board bombs you can drop us an app review as well these reviews are really really helpful please keep dropping them it really helps us push in the rankings here if there's a particular topic you want in the future let us know in the review we are trying to tackle those as fast as possible the coronavirus thing screwed up our recording schedule but i know for sure that two itunes reviewers have left us a request for serum hepatitis interpretation which sounds um riveting <laughs> but unfortunately it's for boards so we will remember to cover that as well as pediatric cardiac complications we've got quite a few pediatric topics coming up down the pipeline which we're pretty excited about and we have some good collaboration going on with some of our pediatric em colleagues so we'll get back to you and hopefully release that soon but thanks again for listening and we will see you next time